Welcome to Smart Advice, a podcast bringing you financial advice, investment strategies, and economic trends. I'm CIBC's financial advice expert, Carissa Lucreziano, and today we'll be talking about how investing with emotions can lead you sometimes down the wrong path and how ignoring your instincts might actually pay off. Investing our money is very different than saving to build up funds for a rainy day or shorter term goals. Why do we invest our hard-earned money? Well, this sounds like a silly question, but one we really need to reflect on when we decide to invest. We invest with the goal in mind to build personal wealth, to have the opportunity to have our money work overtime, outpace inflation, and experience growth through the power of compounding. At the core of all this is also really to achieve our financial goals for the future. But investing is not easy, even for the seasoned investor. According to research, experiencing a market loss on investments during a market downturn is one of the top concerns that make Canadians apprehensive to invest or keep them up at night. Much of this has to do with the impact our emotions have on investing behaviors and not the up and down cycles of the market. The reality is that our emotions can overpower our rational thinking and allow us to stray from the original values and goals of our investment plan. These pure emotional investing behaviors are more common than we think. So common that it's actually been coined as a term in an area of study called investor psychology. So if you did a quick Google search, it would tell you that investor psychology is the study of emotional and cognitive factors that influence the decision-making process of investors. It refers to the mental and emotional factors that can influence an investor's decision-making process when it comes to buying, selling, or holding onto investments. So how does this concept relate to the Canadian investor and how can we navigate and steer our emotions away from making decisions that will interrupt us from building optimal wealth for the future? Well, here to tell us more about the concept of emotional investing is Mark Herzog, Managing Director and Head of Institutional Equities with CIBC Capital Markets. Mark has a 30-year background in investing and trading for various financial institutions, of which the last 10 have been with CIBC. Mark is passionate about this topic and recognizes that even he, with vast experience in trading and investing, can get caught up in these impulses, but has practiced self-awareness that allows him to stick to his process when he feels them creeping up. And Mark, I understand you're joining us directly from the trading desk today. Thank you so much for being a guest on our podcast. Yeah, thanks for that, Chris. And apologies for the noise in the background. It's uh, busy this morning. The Bank of Canada raised rates, so there's a little bit of emotion in the market. So excuse the background noise. These kind of topics I always enjoy talking about because, like I said, after 30 years, it still happens. It still plays out. I mean, the the human beast that we all are, we're fighting these emotions on a daily basis. So learning to tame them, especially we were just commenting as we were starting up here, the, the current market is something that people haven't seen for quite some time where we've been in an easy money environment and now we're in a tighter money environment and trying to handle that is definitely bringing out the emotions across everybody. Well, you're not like, I mean, I want to get into, like I saw your YouTube video. I love it. I want to get into this whole, you know, roller coaster of emotions. But before that, you just mentioned something really important. I know you've experienced various market cycles and some of the biggest market challenges like 2008 market crash and the onset of the global pandemic in 2020. That's just to mention a very, very few that you've experienced. What do you feel the challenges Canadians are facing when it comes to investing today? Like, are they any different? They're different in the fact that we've been used to easy money for since the financial crisis that you mentioned, where we've had a lower rate environment and that's changed now. Now we're in a tighter money environment. So, I mean, you've heard that old adage, don't fight the Fed. 
Just meaning that where if liquidity is going into the system, that's a risk on environment. You have cheap money. So people are looking to get a return on the money and they'll take more risk because the cost of money is cheaper. And now, as you're seeing, the opposite is happening. And it's really the concept of free or cheap money that we've had a little while. There has to be a cost to that. Obviously, like anything else in life, nothing is free. So the cost of the liquidity it was fine. I'd say we were on a decent path since the financial crisis in terms of lower rates and consistency. And then the pandemic hit. And then the government just, as we all know, just went apoplectic with the money flow. And it just went straight up and we had negative interest rates around the world. Definitely not a sustainable environment. So now that euphoria is waning and we have to return back to some kind of normal balance. And what that means with the Fed tightening, getting back to normal rates, I mean, the Fed's target is about 2% for inflation. I would argue that I think that level was fabricated by the Fed themselves because of their easy money environment, where maybe something like 3%, 3.5%, if you look historically, is more of a level where this may settle out. And so far, that's what we're seeing, where the easy decline in the inflation rate is there, but now things are getting a little more sticky. And because of that, we're still seeing the governments, we got the Bank of Canada move again today for another 25 basis points to 5% on the overnight rate. So we have an environment where people are trying to figure out, okay, where am I, where am I going to shake out now in my overall finances, my money in versus money out? So far, the markets look through all of this. Consumer spending remains strong. And of course, the back of that is going to be a, a healthy job market. As long as people are employed, they can move their discretionary dollar from, say, uh, one night out at the restaurant to an extra mortgage payment. So, so far, everyone's proven resilient. And we are earlier in the game of the rate hiking cycle, but if the Goldilocks economy of a soft landing really happens, then we could be uh, off to the races. And the market is today, for sure, is uh, buying into that thesis. Yeah, I mean, for so long, like you mentioned, inflation wasn't really on Canadians' minds anyways. Cheap money, you talk about, you know, it was just was just there and it became we became accustomed to it. I think everything that you mentioned is absolutely true when it comes to, you know, where we're headed. And, you know, Canadians are facing, you know, some different challenges when it comes to where to put their money for sure. And you just gave that great example of, you know, going out to dinner or, you know, another mortgage payment. So I want to get into the way in which investors really react and behave when it comes to investing. And like, I love the YouTube video you did. You have to do more of them. It was two minutes and a bit, but you have to do more. I loved it. I wanted more. <laughs> it was called Greed, Fear, Hope, and Regret, Repeat. And you like you really dove into that emotional roller coaster of investing when markets are volatile and how this can really impact our decision when investing. Can you take us through this? Because it's very, very important. I'm not sure if much has changed, you know, over decades to this behavior. And it really does impact our ability to, you know, grow our wealth over the future. It definitely does. And uh, to your point about having a change, it really hasn't. The human nature has not changed. And hence why you see the markets, whether it's the dot-com, whether it's the recovery from COVID, both up and down, things get overdone. Why? Because the market's emotional, liquidity isn't there, and if people get uh, emotions a better part and they just want out, the market responds accordingly. And to the opposite way, we're starting to see that now where people are underinvested, they're worried, there's going to be a recession. So people are underinvested, you start to get spikes like you see today where people are missing out. So you, you see it on a daily basis and then on a longer term basis, looking at the, the charts too. And it just repeats itself over time. So doing this on a daily basis, you have to learn to take your emotions and 
wrap some kind of framework around them. Otherwise, A, you may become a little loopy or insane just from it, or in B, you'll go broke. I've seen it many a times. I even see it like directly on the desk here with uh, myself and coworkers who've been doing this for many years, where sometimes emotion gets the best of you. So you have to come up with a way to recognize what it emotions you're feeling and how can you combat that. And the biggest way I've found over the years to do that is make sure during the trading day is you know uh, what you're walking into, meaning that you've got all outcomes mapped out. Because if you go into the trading day without a plan, you fall into the cycle that you're talking about of emotions. And this is a, a daily basis, but that same cycle can play out over a longer term basis. If you're a longer term investor, a value investor, where you have to be a little more patient for things to come to fruition. But either way, depending on your time frame, your emotions are definitely the same system or same cycle. It's just a matter of the time frame that they play out on. So for something starting like with the, the greed, fear, hope, and regret, the greed and fear can manifest many ways. Like you come in today, you see the market's up, you're underinvested, you're like, I got to get in. Like, I don't want to miss something. So you're not really coming in with a plan. You're just coming in like, I don't want to miss out. Everything's going up and you just make a decision what hasn't been necessarily thought through. Just to back up uh, a little bit before I go through on the investing side, I, I always liken it uh, to other professions. A doctor is a good example to an extreme, but even if you look at something like an actor or a lifeguard, every one of those professions takes some training that's involved. Like a doctor obviously isn't just walking and go, I want to be a doctor and walk into the OR and, and start operating. They go through a plan and some training to get there. And what it, by a default, that means when you come in to game time, whether it's in the operating room, you've got the training and you've got the mindset to handle what comes at you. If something goes wrong, how do you deal with that? If something's going well, you can speed things up. How do you deal with that? So relating that back to investing, what I've seen over the years is the majority of people don't have that kind of rock solid plan. It's more hope that they have, which is one of the biggest, strongest emotions. And hope, unfortunately, is a horrible risk management tool because it's, uh, it works both up and down. Hope it goes higher and hope it doesn't go any lower. But at the end of the day, and to be very blunt, the market doesn't care about you as an individual and what your thoughts are. The market is its own beast. So with that in mind, you have to come up with some kind of framework to circle your emotions. Greed and fear mostly to the upside and hope and regret to the downside. So how do you do with that? You come up with some sort of a investing plan that suits your, your time frame. It suits your risk tolerance. I myself, I can't tolerate big swings and big losses. They're too emotionally taxing. If something's down 50%, it's got to double just to get back to break even. I never want to put myself in that situation. It, it's, it's a horrible mental. And for that one position, it's horrible, but it also affects you for the next couple of trades because you're so far in the hole in one trade. Psychologically, your next trade, you're either gun shy. So when an opportunity does come along, you're still worried about the old position. So it really does matter in terms of what you are comfortable with in terms of your money. Some people like Warren Buffett, he'll buy cheap and then hold for a decade. But does that mean he doesn't have risk management? Of course not. He just has different risk management than I would, who's trading on a sometimes intraday basis or daily basis. So I would say just to go on the side too is for all these things, the one thing that helped, two things that helped me the most are looking at all the best traders and by traders, again, people who are shorter term in nature and what do they have in common? And there is a laundry list of things that they do have in common that uh, do help you tame uh, all the psychological emotions that you have. And you talked about something very impactful, like he, 
you know, not everybody is trading on a day-to-day basis. Many individuals and Canadians are looking at, you know, how they can invest their money over time and may trade less frequency. But I think at the core of it, you mentioned having an investing plan. Like, what are the goals that you're investing for? And as well, what is your risk tolerance? Like you mentioned, you know, you you can't stomach that something like a 50% drop. Most Canadians can't. So, you know, what is your investing plan? How long are you investing your money? What is the goal and what are you investing for? That will be a lot easier to stick to your plan. When investing for growth to build wealth, you are exposing yourself to the market and all of its volatility, you know, irrespective of your risk profile, which you've, you've mentioned. Now, how do you best plan to preserve capital when you're really focused on growth? And you mentioned this in your video, and I'd love for you to expand on it. Yeah. So there's, uh, what's the best way to start with that? I'd, I'd say my approach for growth, uh, growth and momentum, I think, are two that are intertwined. So at, at the core of it, why am I buying a stock? I want it to go higher. Okay, so how do I know that the stock's going to go higher? Well, in the end, I really don't. But I can look historically at several different factors that would put the weight of probability that the stock will go higher in the near term. So what can things like that be? Again, it's you're looking for a process that you can repeat profitably over time within your risk management. So that is the, the core of any trading plan, whether you're short-term or long-term. So for myself, a couple of things come into play, like uh, a simple indicator, and again, back to what some of the greater investors have used, something like a 200-day moving average and uh, the slope of that moving average. If the stock is under the 200 moving day average and it's sloping downward, then chances are we're still in a cycle where you've got lots of overhead resistance on the stock, and it's gonna be some time before the stock really turns around. So Again, that's just a simplicity, uh, a version of looking at it, but in terms of coming up with a process, whether you're an investor or trader, it's still a repeatable process over time. And then getting into what I call the trading versus investor trap. When you get into something, because I think it's going to go up and then it immediately goes down. You're down 5%. You're like, well, it's only down 5%. I'm not going to sell it here. And then it's down 10%. Well, I'm not going to sell it here. I still like it longer term. That's when you really, A, before you get into the trade, you should really determine that. Because if you lose 2 3%, the next trade, you only have to make two, three percent to get back to break even. But as you start to go further down the scale, like I mentioned, ten percent, you have to make twelve, and the fifty percent, you got to double your money. So even though you're a long-term investor, if you really believe in this company, why is the market not believing in it now versus your opinion? So everyone has an opinion, but the only opinion that matters is the market. So when it, it's what happens when people get into trouble is they get stronghold and believe their opinion and say that the market's wrong. Maybe the case, but what's your time frame on that? So how do you keep yourself out of that? You, you've really got to learn to take a loss. And it's the hardest, hardest thing to do because, again, back to your emotions, people don't like to admit they're wrong. Exactly. But if you, again, back to traders that have in common, the number one thing is risk management. And part of that is cutting your losses short. Some of the best traders in the world have less than a 50% hit rate on their trades, but they're still very, very profitable. And why is that? I just go back to the math again, because you're taking small losses. And then when you're right, you're you're maximizing that. I mean, again, it sounds simplistic and easy, but they're all generally rules-based that they have. So when they know they're going into a trade, whether I'm buying TELUS now as it hits 52-week lows, I like telcos, I think they're going to turn around even if there's a threat of Amazon or whether it's all the pricing competition now because of the Shaw. 
what if it goes down another 20%? Like, do I want to be in that position? And am I comfortable with that to, to ride it out? Because I think in the next 10 years, it'll go out. So it's really looking deep within to yourself. And to tame those emotions on the upside and downside is what are you trying to achieve? And what can you tolerate in terms of risk management? And that's a really personal question, something you need to work with through yourself first, and then working with your IR to get through what your goals are and what time frame you're looking to achieve those and how much volatility you can handle in your portfolio. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and sometimes these losses are are a blip in time. Like you mentioned in your in your video, you the example you used was tech stocks from you know twenty twenty one to twenty twenty two, and you looked at things like Meta down sixty two, Netflix down forty six. If in that capitulation, which is really the definition part of it, is like surrender. If you absolutely or if you do surrender, because you don't have that process and plan in place to understand that long-term plan or, or, or how long that you can, you're investing your money for, you could absolutely put a dent in your long-term growth by selling at that, at that point. So, yep. so absolutely right. And, and all of this uh, really comes down to what we've been talking about is having a plan, having a process, understanding what your goals are, how long are you investing for? And you mentioned advice and advice is so important around this is doing this day in and day out is, you know, part and parcel a lot of what you do. This is your profession and what you've been doing for for 30 years. This is not the everyday norm of of Canadian investors. So having a sounding board with an advisor and someone that can help you build out this plan, what are your goals? What are you saving for? What are you investing for? And helping stick to that plan is also extremely important and impactful in the journey. The biggest thing, and this may sound a, a little... Uh sarcastic but in the end for all the advice that's out there the talking heads on tv analysts so nobody knows nobody knows for sure right everyone has an opinion so for me one of the aha moments was having an opinion but what's the market structure around that meaning take an opinion but what is the market saying about the stock right now like is it in is it in an uptrend is it below moving averages where is it now so it's marrying your opinion with the market and i know that can some people don't want to get into that level of detail which is fine for an investing plan but at the same time it doesn't excuse risk management you don't have to get into the details on the chart but even if you're buying an etf if you something simple where you're just buying an etf because you know i'm investing for the 40 years and I, any drawdown i'm just going to add to it that makes sense but if you're like you mentioned the tech stock individual tech stock which introduces way more risk than a broad-based ETF, single stock risk, operational risk, execution risk. Are you able to really, uh, are you position size correctly? I.e. is it 50% of your portfolio or five, which comes into things you can narrow draw down. So you have to really look at the things that you control, which are your position size, where you buy and where you take profits and where you take losses. So only control what you can control. So you have a plan because there's so many things that you can't control. And again, like I, I mentioned, like all the information I assimilate every day, I, I literally tell myself, nobody knows for sure. So how do I combat the fact that I don't have certainty? It's through that risk management and having areas where I admit that I'm wrong and then I wait for the next environment. And the other part too, again, this is more of a market timing. This is definitely more trading for myself. Sometimes the best trade is no trade where I'm sitting out of the market. And that's because my trading criteria, nothing is showing up. So if nothing's showing up, I'm not going to trade because that is my trading criteria. And it, it saved me, I guess, on the downside too, is weathering moments like we just went through, like even through the COVID where I'm out because the market's not acting 
like my criteria, so I'm out of the market. So I developed that over time by continually looking back and looking at examples and looking for commonalities in those examples. Like if the market's below the 200-day average, what industries are doing well, what industries are doing not. Uh-huh. I can go into it ad nauseum about the different ways and different strategies, but the point is there is a strategy and developing that is is the single most important factor with risk management for long-term building wealth. Yeah. And it's essentially your plan. So, you know, and we've talked a lot about today how to become a resilient investor, how to, you know, keep the noise of your emotions away and staying on track. Like you've given us some great tips. Some of the big things that I'm hearing is having that plan, whether that's investing plan, setting out your goals, having that investing plan, keeping discipline with your process and, you know, not straying from that. A lot of these things will help build the resiliency that you really do need to be an investor over time. So, you know, Mark, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Any more YouTube videos in the future? Oh, I don't know. I, I think my face is built for radio in terms of that. That's why I'm doing more podcasts. <laughs> but just to add one final thing I would put on is one last thing is be backward looking in your own trades, i.e. if something goes right and something goes wrong, go back and review it see why that is. Was it an entry thing? Was it a timing thing? And then put it back to the other research you've done in terms of that. So that was a, a another big aha moment for me too, was going back and reviewing my old trades to see how I can improve, see where there are common mistakes that I was making. So looking backwards really does help you move forward. Yeah. It's no different than if you write your math test, you find out what you got wrong, you have to go back and see how you do it right. But again, with investing, people have their emotions involved and don't do their homework as much. And they're just very hopeful. But uh, if you go back and review, you'll see commonalities over the last 10 trades. I guarantee you'll find things that are common that you can uh, improve upon going forward. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Great point. And you should be reviewing your plan looking forward. What What are the things that you want to amend and, and what are things that you, you want to stick to? It's very important to do that. So thanks again, Mark. Really love the conversation today. Emotional investing, uh, this concept is talked about a lot. You see it in articles and, and research all across the board in terms of you know how it affects us building wealth over the future. So thanks again for, for joining me. I appreciate that, Carissa, very much. Happy health and happy wealth to everyone. Thank you, you too. As we have discussed today, investing is a fundamental component of building wealth for the future. It takes self-awareness to keep emotions in check and a concentrated effort to stick to a plan to achieve financial goals for the future. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Smart Advice Podcast. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe or follow on your favorite podcast platform and visit us for more advice at cibc.com smartadvice. Thanks for listening.